0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, guys. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here at North Valley. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we're in a new series called Love and Marriage, and we're working through the book, uh, the Song of Songs, uh, probably one of the most erotic books in the, new, in the Bible, um, Specifically speaking about uh, love and marriage. Um, Just uh, yesterday, I was down in Dallas and uh, at a memorial service for my grandfather, and he exemplified just a great vision for what it looks like to be a really godly, good man uh, in marriage. Um, This morning, we're talking about intimacy, and my grandfather and my grandmother had a wonderful loving, intimate relationship. Words that were used to describe him were words like this. He was loving. He was respectful. He was a servant. He was sacrificial. He honored and nourished and cherished uh, his bride all the days of his life. Um, When I was about 15 years old, my grandmother was diagnosed uh, with a disease that would have her in a wheelchair the rest of her life. And for 10 years, my grandfather cared and nourished for her, reorganized his schedule, never complained, and uh, tenderly cared for her uh, until her last day. Um, My grandfather left a legacy for us all yesterday as I'm sitting in that small church down in Dallas and hearing the stories uh, about his faithfulness in love and marriage. And uh, this morning, I want to just... Remind us that I think that we live in a culture that's a bit confused about what love and marriage really looks like. Um, even on the plane ride uh, down to Dallas, I sat next to a, a, a gal who had uh, wanted to talk and ask a lot of questions. I was kind of hoping for an easy, quiet plane ride. In fact, I set my little laptop right in the middle had another person sitting next to the window. They acted like they were sleeping, so they wouldn't talk. And I thought, perfect, I'll sit here. And then sure enough, this gal starts walking down the aisle. at Southwest, open seating, sit where you want. And she says, is that taken? And I'm like, uh, and she says, great, I'll take it. And I said, oh, okay, here we go. Uh, two hours into conversation, uh, she asked me the question to start off with. She said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, great. I can't wait. I've got a lot of questions for you. <laughs> So I was like, man, Lord, I never get a break, Lord. Uh, But we asked, she asked a lot of questions. And, you know, she talked about the LGBT community. And uh, she said she was an atheist and very intelligent young lady, uh, talked a lot about uh, her feelings and frustrations with the church and not understanding um, a lot of things, but was very inquisitive and wanted to know uh, from a biblical perspective. And I began to explain some of the scriptures, uh, and she, she was fascinated about it. Um, and she said, I, ne- I never knew that. Um, this morning, my guess is, as we dive into God's word together, you're gonna have this experience where you say, I, I never knew that. Um, probably because when it comes to the area of sexual intimacy, in a, uh, in, you were likely taught by friends about sex, or the television was your teacher. Um, some of you picked up more on the back of a bathroom stall and a truck stop than you have ever from your mom or dad. And so you're left kind of like with a grenade, and you just kind of fiddle with it, and you know that this thing could be good, it could be bad, it's dangerous. Is it, how does it work? All that stuff. And you've kind of been left to figure it out in many regards. A lot of churches actually won't teach on this kind of topic. They'll do a general topic on relationships, and uh, what we felt like it was really important to give clarity in the midst of confusion. Uh, right now, there's a, a, a popular book that has been made into a movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, and now Fifty uh, Shades Darker. The book series, Fifty Shades of Grey, was written by E.L. James, sold more than 45 million copies in the United States, 100 million worldwide, and it is now a major motion picture. Um, this is not a movie about sexual intimacy, rather it's a movie about sexual excitement. And there's a big difference. You can get excited for wrong things. Not all sexual excitement is wrong, uh, but there is a sexual excitement that is dark and twisted. It's different than what God's best is. And this morning, what I'm going to be talking to you about is five keys to igniting intimacy into your marriage. Um, Again, there's a general confusion about this idea of sexual intimacy. In the movie Fifty Shades uh, Darker, the storyline is a story of a self-centered man trying to convince a reluctant woman to have sex the way he wants it done. He has things like a a red room of pain where there's handcuffs and belts and ropes and whips and blindfolds and straps and miscellaneous items. There is a subculture in... uh, American culture, and even within the church, it's called the BDSM movement. It stands for bondage, dominance, uh, sadism, and masochism. Uh, sadism is where you're inflicting pain and you enjoy that. You get pleasure from inflicting pain from an- another person, uh, specifically in the area of sexual dominance. Um, I bring this up because you, on your way into North Valley worship uh, theater, you have 50 shades darker, so you take a a wrong turn and you find yourself in a very precarious situation. Um, So what does the Bible have to say about all this kind of stuff? Um, I just want to clarify a couple of points. Um, Bondage is not something that um, is described in the Bible at all about sex. Rather, sex is described in the Bible as this liberating, intoxicating Feeling and expression and gift that you get to experience in the context of marriage—it should bring freedom, not bondage. Um, the idea of dominance, where males are are, are domineering, and um, you know you negotiate contracts uh, on how far you will go, and you have safe words to kind of uh, 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 get out of a painful situation. In this idea of a red room, or in this Um, uh, sexual experience. Uh, The Bible says that males are not to be over-domineering. Rather, they're to be tender and yet tough, not feminine. And and the church should never feminize men to make them a softer version of their masculinity. Rather, they should learn to be really tough, but yet tender and affectionate towards their bride. And Solomon's going to model this for us this morning. Um, sex is not sadistic, where the synonym for um, s- uh, sadistic is brutal or vicious, but rather sex as described in the Bible is gentle and tender. And so this entire movement of fascination with this Fifty Shades of Grey or Darker and the BDSM movement is contrary to the Bible. Um, sex doesn't find pleasure from other people's pain. That that is a, a an erroneous idea of a, a a warped view on sexual intimacy. It's sexual excitement and arousal, but it's not biblical vision for sexual intimacy in a marriage context. Um, this is completely opposite on how God has envisioned sex when he created a, a husband and a wife. When talking about marriage, God uses words like love and respect and service and honor and cherishing. Uh, so what is NFC looking like according to the Bible? We're going to learn that and look at a case study in the life of Solomon, the wisest and the wealthiest. We're going to see that he has already married his bride, and now this morning he's in the bridal chamber, where in the palace, where he is going to make love to his spouse. And I, when I taught this uh, for the Texas Rangers as a chaplain, I said that, and one of the guys picked up the Bible, and he didn't know it was a Bible, and he was like, "Oh, that—that's the Bible. Okay, all right. What is love?" Paul said it like this in Corinthians, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love's not arrogant. It doesn't force itself on others. it, It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of sins of others. It doesn't get pleasure from other people's pain. It takes pleasures in the flowering truth of God's word. It puts up with anything. It trusts God always, and it always looks for the best. It never looks back, but keeps on going to the end. That was a description of my grandfather, the way he did love and marriage. He did it to the very end. And so what we can do in, when it comes to our culture is we can be enamored by the cultural trends in the 50 shades of gray or darker and try to create some kind of theology of our sexuality from culture Or we could look to God's word. I think we'd all agree here this morning, you've made it thus far into North Valley and you think probably God's word has something to say. It's good. Let me pray for us and we'll see this case study between Solomon and his bride. Heavenly Father, we pray for your word. Magnify your great work in our hearts. God, uh, let us see the gift of sexual intimacy uh, as a gift. that we may, it may be the fire and the fuel in marriages. God, and give us a great clarity of seeing the truth and the joy of your scripture that is for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Five keys igniting intimacy into the marriage. Number one, it's affection. Solomon's incredibly affectionate towards his bride. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. He says this over and over again. She struggles with insecurity, and he speaks to her. Uh, There's two kinds of affection that are really important to ignite intimacy into your marriage, gentlemen. It's being physically affectionate, touching, caressing, not running into the bedroom like you are Conan the Barbarian and you need to rescue the bride. Um, But it is tender and affectionate. There's a physical affection and there's a verbal affection. Uh, The truth here is that there... Uh, Solomon is incredibly verbally affectionate, and he's building up her self-esteem, and he's being tender and intimate with his bride, uh, his wife, to encourage her and love her and experiencing the intimacy that God desires in all marriage relationships. You need to remember that women hear their beauty. They can stand in front of a mirror, and they look at themselves, and they don't see their beauty. But we've talked about this before, Pastor Mark, uh, Mark Moore came over and he shared and he said, remember, uh, women will hear their beauty. Um, Gentlemen, those of you that are married, it is your responsibility not to let um, somebody else be praising the beauty of your spouse, but that's your responsibility and it's your privilege. And Solomon understands the science behind how God fashioned and formed a woman that she is heated up towards arousal and excitement for intimacy, physical intimacy, through tenderness, through touch, physical affection, a hug, a kiss, a holding of the hand, before you move uh, much further. And a verbal affection, where you're a verbally affirming and encouraging and showing your affection and appreciation. He uses this word beautiful over and over again to reaffirm her. Remember, women cure their beauty. Uh, one author, a Christian author, said it like this, women are like crockpots and men are like microwaves. Uh, women take time to heat up and, uh, uh, into arousal and excitement. Uh, it. Hours potentially, um, and men are like microwaves. It's a matter of seconds, an instant kind of experience. God's wired and fashioned and made men uh, different. And Solomon understands this. By uh, we see this even outlined in Scripture, where he doesn't run in and make uh, demands, though he is king and he has all power and authority in Israel as a king who's reigning uh, as the wisest and the wealthiest in the, in the world at that time. Uh, he doesn't make those demands yet. Rather, he starts, we see this scene of the, in the honeymoon where he starts with affection. Uh, gentlemen, it's your responsibility to give a great affection towards your spouse. They long for it, and they will hear their beauty based on how you speak to them. Oftentimes the reality is, is we say things we regret. And we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I, I take back my words. I mean, wake up. It's real life. You say things you don't mean all the time. And there needs to be this level, though, of deep acceptance that you guys love each other and you're going to stick with it with each other. Second thing we're going to see in intimacy is that there needs to be a, to ignite intimacy, there needs to be acceptance in the relationship. Solomon says, your, your eyes, and he starts with her eyes. The eyes were a window into the soul in that uh, time period. The mindset has been, and it's carried on from generation to gener- generation. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Um, doves would be a sign and a symbol of peace. He finds great peace just by looking into her eyes. She's wearing a veil. She has gone into the bridal chamber, and she has her wedding dress on. Solomon is going to take this dress off and he is going to start, though, with praising and giving affection verbally and physically, touching, caressing, caring, uh, being tender uh, with his bride. And he begins to paint a picture of that there's this deep acceptance. She can unveil herself to him. Uh, She has already expressed her insecurities and he's put those at ease and she's growing in her confidence and her self-esteem. And he says to her in verse 7, My darling, there is no flaw in you. He sees her with great love and appreciation. Her whole body is there in front of him. And he says, there's no flaw in you at all. Uh, Gentlemen, you can put your wives at ease by praising her, giving her affection, uh, and accepting her for the way God made her. Your standard of beauty, gentlemen, is your wife. That's the standard of beauty and you speak that into her life, Uh, you speak that over her life, you speak that into her life season after season, because culture will hold up and create a standard of beauty, and it changes. I mean, you go back several uh, centuries in the past, and the standard of beauty looked very different than what culture holds up today. Um, So acceptance is a key deal. We need to accept each other like God accepts you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a radical acceptance. He loves you and with all your flaws. It's through Christ he sees the righteousness and, and he says you're accepted based on the work of Jesus Christ and I'm radically in love with you. You can say this over your own personal life. You are, through Christ, you are God's child. In Christ you can say, I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord. I am one with him in spirit. I've been bought with a price and I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. There needs to be this radical acceptance that you have in your marriage and it's a reflection of the acceptance that you find in your relationship with God. That acceptance factor is so crucial for intimacy that there's this deep soul-level acceptance for the other person. Number three, the key for intimacy is adoration. Um, By adoration, I mean it's a deep love and respect for the one you love. It's a deep love. It's an adoration. It verges on worship, but it's not worship. Adoration is not worship, it's much more though than admiration. It's not just you admire the person, you can admire another couple or another relationship or another woman, uh, for those of you men, or uh, you ladies could admire another man, but to adore anybody else than your spouse, that's an exclusive emotion and commitment that you get to experience in the context of marriage, and Solomon adores her. He adores her tremendously. Um, you've heard it said, oh, he just adores that, that young lady. Or she just adores her husband. That kind of relationship is rare. And that's why deep level intimacy is rare, uh, oftentimes in marriages. But God gives us a word today. God gives us a way in which we're to experience more than sexual excitement, but a deep soul level intimacy, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Adoration is something that comes across kind of funny in the words of Solomon. Uh, He's praised her, uh, he said, he's praised her verbally, giving her verbal affection, physical affection. He's talked about her eyes. He's talked about. Uh, how beautiful she is, and now he moves down from head to toe to describe her beauty. Verse 2. He says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Now, wait a second, guys. You might not want to say that to your to your wife. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. What he means there is, is, is she's a country girl, and uh, she would have known that these sheep are beautiful and white. He says, just shorn Uh, just trimmed up, coming up from the washing. They would have been like a brilliant white. He loves her smile. He says, each one has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Literally, what he means there is, she's got all her teeth. And he likes that. And, uh, you know, obviously, this lady's not from Apache Junction or Crown King, you know? Um. He loves her teeth, and uh, he says, you've got all your teeth. They're there. I love your smile. Um, I'm from Arkansas, and, um, you know, Arkansas has got a lot of stereotypes, and I can pick on it because that's where I'm from. But in Arkansas, do you know that's where they made the first toothbrush in, in Arkansas? Because if, you know, if it was made anywhere else, outside of Arkansas, it probably would have been called the teeth brush. But you know, you got that one tooth, you just got to call it a toothbrush. (laughs) Yeah, I'm working on it. Verse 3, he says, your lips are like scarlet ribbon, your mouth uh, is lovely. He loves your smile. Guys, note to self, uh, you want more intimacy in your marriage? Give verbal affirmation. Be so creative. Go slow. Don't run into the bedroom like Hulk or, 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 or Iron Man, you know, and trying to express your male powers. And be tender. Be tough. But give her verbal affection. And he is moving from head to toe, praising all the different body parts. He accepts her. She's a kind, free girl. He could have any woman he wants. He's in love with her. He says, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. This is kissing talk. He wants to kiss her. Uh, He says, your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. She's blushing. He's using creative poetic language to share about what's happening. And here, he adores every part of her and he transitions in verse 4 to his kind of world. A military world, a political world a world of uh, kingship. And he describes her body in verse 4, your neck, now he's moving lower. He says, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with uh, courses of stone, and on it having a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. He's praising not only her neck, but he's also praising the necklace that she's wearing. Uh, He likens her uh, neck to an elegant, uh, beautiful, frame, and figure. Uh, This Tower of David would have been a military structure uh, built with stones. It would have been a sign and symbol, a landmark for everybody to see of elegance and royal power. Um, King David is Solomon's father, and Solomon is continuing, continuing the kingship, the kingdom work And he describes her not just as a country girl with beautiful white teeth, but he describes her with this regalness, this royalty, this elegance as well. Um, He says uh, like hanging a thousand shields on it. In that time frame, uh, soldiers would come along military structures, and if there was an allegiance to that king and that kingdom, they would hang their shields on that structure to show their great allegiance in the kingdom, and he is expressing his great allegiance to her because he uh, adores her. He adores everything about her from head to toe, and he moves lower onto the body. Fourth thing we're going to see is that for intimacy to exist and to be ignited into the relationship, there needs to be arousal. And Solomon now moves lower down, her dress has come off. In verse 5, he says, your breasts are like two fawns. Fawns would be these little, uh, small, young uh, animals like twin fawns of a gazelle, precisely. These would have been um, things that uh, if you domesticated these little creatures, they were very nice and very cute and cuddleable and all this kind of stuff. And he likens her breasts to that. Uh, At this point, yep, this is when the Texas Rangers checked the Bible, make sure we were talking about the Bible here, and uh, it is. And what he's doing, though, is he's moving down her body to describe every detail in great beauty. Uh, Verse 6, he makes a great declaration statement. Until the day breaks... He's saying it's going to be all night long, and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. What in the world are they talking about? Um, myrrh and incense are fine uh, perfumes and um, oils that they would uh, were only from Saudi Arabia. It was a rare, exotic uh, uh, perfume and incense. And what he when he uses these two words. Elsewhere in the book of Song of Songs, it refers to her genitals, and so he right here, just mind you, the the progress that he's moving from head to toe. The wedding has already happened; he's in the honeymoon, and he has talked about her eyes. He's talked about uh, her face, her smile. He's talked about her neck, and now he talks about her breasts, and on and on. He describes the joy that he experienced in the context of this marriage. So, you know, I mean, some of you think, um, wow, Solomon's got sex on the brain. Uh, and you might ask the question, why do you guys care so much about sex? Um, truth be known is some uh, ladies care a tremendous amount about sex. And actually, I'm going to answer that question next week. But in general, there is a, uh, an infatuation, if you will, uh, for guys with sex. Um, anyone who says a way to a man's heart is through his stomach must have flunked anatomy. Um, Solomon is an honest case study of this. He's not looking for dinner. He's looking for intimacy with his bride. Uh, women often can place sex on the back burner not realizing how powerful it is and how important it is for the marriage. 70 to 80% of men say that sex is the most important aspect of their marriage. That's a lot of men. Um, 83% of husbands would say that they don't think their wives understand their sex drive. So, if sex is a gift from God that he's given for marriage then how should we view it? How should we think about it? Should it be that important? I think it is. Uh, Why do guys care so much about sex? First of all, you need to understand, ladies, their physical drive. They have a strong physical drive. Literally, it is uh, testosterone that builds up into the man. God has made uh, man and woman distinctly different. Uh, As one author said, women are like crockpots, men are like microwaves. They're different. And God has uh, made each one different. And so uh, men typically have a physical, uh, physical drive that is not just an emotional experience. It's a physical, physiological uh, uh, something that's happening inside of them. It can be a buildup of testosterone. And it's kind of like, uh, I think for you ladies, you could understand that those of you that have given birth to a child, when, you, when your breast began to produce milk, It it intensifies, and you must uh, nurse that child to find physical relief. There is a literal, a physiological buildup, if you will. And in in the man, uh, there is this physical drive that can be built up uh, with testosterone that without release, there is a buildup of uh, pain uh, into uh, the man. And so there is a physical reality that we cannot dismiss, and remember God created man and woman in their physical bodies, and what we tend to do in church from time to time is separate physical from spiritual and act like they're not really important together. But God's made it where, now he says when he created a man and a woman, it was good. He creates physical people, and their sexuality is a part of the humanity And so we've got to understand that there's this physical drive. There's also realize there's an emotional need. Um, Men can feel emotionally connected through physical intimacy. And oftentimes, uh, ladies, it is through the physical intimacy first before the emotions catch back up. Um, That's why I think it's a manipulative tool. Uh, When I was a... uh, a teenager, it was very popular when I was uh, not a Christian person, Uh, the girl would want in the relationship emotional connection. And what guys would do is barter with the gal and say, well, if you will sleep with me or you will do that, then we will be closer. And oftentimes what happened because mom and dad weren't teaching young children and kids, you don't do that. So guys will easily, uh, outside of marriage, use physical intimacy by promising emotional intimacy. Because why? Because guys feel an emotional connection. They have a high uh, physical drive. And ladies, you can find uh, in marriage a deeper emotional connectivity through physical intimacy. Husbands also have a spiritual need. They literally have a spiritual need uh, for uh, being intimate in the marriage relationship. Paul puts it like this. He says, uh, addresses the church in Corinth, and he says, do not deprive each other of sexual relationships, he, it, relations, and this is in the context of marriage. He says, don't deprive each other. Uh, unless, here's the, the conditions, unless you both agree about it. There can be a time where you're traveling, there can be a rhythm of your body where it's just you're not in a place where you can do that. And you just, there's physical restrictions, there's geographical restrictions, uh, but you both agree. And the, But look what it says, to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. Um, I've heard of marriages saying, yeah, we've gone several years without having sex. Um, that's not very limited. Uh, you, limited means limited, that you, it's a shorter time frame, and you give yourselves more completely to prayer. That would be another condition. I said this in the first service, is that like if my wife, uh, every time I wanted to be close to her, and she said to me, hey baby, tonight I'm just going to pray, I'd be like, Lord, no. Uh, don't pull that card, ladies. Uh, tonight's just a night of prayer for me, baby. Uh God knows if you're lying, you know, if you don't, just tell them the truth. I'm not in the mood tonight. Can we do, do something another time? Or I really love you and I really care for you and I really want to serve you, but tonight's not a good night. And, uh, you know, you're going to see that, uh, again, the biblical framework for a relationship with a husband and a wife, the husband is sacrificial and a servant. He's not domineering. He's not a tyrant that makes his demands. Um, he says this in continuing on in, in in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's a spiritual issue. Guys have a physical drive and a desire, and literally there's a physiological buildup of testosterone, and it, it is painful to go on and on without... Uh, being uh, experiencing that intimacy. There's an emotional need, a co- connectivity, and there's this spiritual reality. Um, ladies, I want to tell you this. Uh, wives, you are not, listen to me, you are not ultimately responsible for your husband's sexual failure. If he fails to be um, faithful, and he turns towards adulterous relationships or pornography or anything else, That's not ultimately your responsibility. But you are the greatest influence for your husband's victory. You are the person in charge granted by God to have the greatest influence in your husband's sexual uh, purity and intimacy within marriage, that victory. See, he can outsource a lot of things. He can outsource where, you know, his clothes being cleaned, He can outsource, uh, he can get takeout food uh, for dinner. He can outsource even childcare and say, you know what, Uh, my parental responsibility, I'm really busy at work, I'm gonna have so-and-so take care of the kids. But the one thing he can't outsource is intimacy. If he outsources that and he's uh, stood in violation to God's word and God's ways, then he's in trouble. It's a spiritual responsibility that uh, ladies have. Some of you are literally at a place, though, where you say, well, what if I have a higher sex drive than my husband? I'm, I'm going to answer that question next week. It's already come up several times. And in, just in, in, in the last uh, few days, uh, I've received some emails asking questions and I invite you, if you want to uh, be so bold and send your email, I'll answer it in the remaining uh, messages in this series. Keep your name anonymous. Um Fifthly, we're going to see that for there to be intimacy in the marriage to really ignite it, there needs to be a sense of adventure. I heard a story of a a woman who had been married 10 years, and she would say that their sex life had just kind of gone down the tube. She says, well, maybe if we have sex uh, two times a week over the past 10 years, uh, that's 100 times per year roughly, and about 1,000 times over a 10-year period. And uh, her story went on to say, and just saying, uh, it's it can be monotonous. And there's kind of two things that you need to see when it comes to sexual intimacy, is there's kind of, at times, there's these magical moments in intimacy. And uh, some of these magical experiences come just because it's just, I don't know, it's like an art. That's why we say it's the art of intimacy. Like, you can't always produce the most beautiful artwork every time you put your, uh, y- your brush to the canvas. Like, art is art, and God made us beautifully, wonderful, but yet completely complex. And so there's magical moments in intimacy in a relationship, and then there's maintenance. At my household, we talk about magic and maintenance. And if you have the expectation that every time you're in the bedroom with your spouse, it's going to be magical, your expectation might be um, uh, wrongly. You you just don't, you don't, you don't, nothing, it doesn't meet your expectations. Culture perpetuates every time you see a movie, it's always this magical experience. Um, Paul puts it in plain terms and just says, hey, I want to give you some practical advice. Don't deprive each other. Don't deprive each other, and if you do, uh, you do it for a limited time, so you need to be talking about rhythm and regularity, uh, all that, and here's why, because uh, you may need to stop for a time of prayer, and, and you need to focus more on the spiritual and not the physical side of your relationship, uh, Or, but I want you to also understand that there's this temptation issue, and so... Um, When it comes to igniting intimacy, adventure is a big deal. Uh, He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. They had slipped out of Jerusalem, gone up to Lebanon. They are in the mountains of Lebanon. He says, descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of -Sinar, Sinar, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountains, haunts of leopards. There is wildlife. There is adventure. He is inviting her towards a adventure romance. Here's the question, how adventurous can we be in the bedroom? A couple of uh, points to consider in answering that question. Number one, does God clearly say no? If he clearly says no, it's not a good idea. Uh, Secondly, it's only between you and your spouse. It means phone sex, uh, porn, chat rooms, uh, even erotica uh, literature. Uh, It's been called mommy porn or... uh, Threesomes, ideas of threesomes, if it's, in bet- if it's only between you and your spouse, that's the model. Uh, is it mutually pleasurable is another question. I just want to read to you top 10 no-nos from God's Word. Uh, fornication is a no-no. Uh, having sex outside of marriage, immoral sex outside of marriage is no. God's Word clearly says don't do that. That's called fornicating. Adultery is sex with someone else who's not your spouse if you're doing that. It, that is, that is uh, wrong. Uh, homosexuality, same-sex relations is wrong. Uh, impurity, to lose one's virginity or to watch uh, pornography or anything that is impure or unclean acts, that's wrong. God says no against that. He doesn't say no to be mean. He says no to, give, to be great, to make your relationship great. It's for your good and for His glory orgies are wrong, married couples having sex with other couples. There's, uh, even in this area, I've talked to police officers, there are swinger households where couples can just meet up and everybody's having sex together. Uh, God says that's wrong. You don't, you don't do that. Um, prostitution, paying for sex is wrong. Lustful passion, sexual desires outside of the marriage, sodomy, uh, homosexuality or sex with animals or prostitution as mentioned and described in the Bible, is wrong. Obscenity and coarse joking. In modern media, we hear locker room talk. It's inappropriate. God says, no, don't, don't do that. How adventurous can you be? Look at God's word and say, here are the clear boundaries. Uh, incest is wrong. Sex with family members or relatives is wrong. So how do we respond? Here's how we respond um, with a great tenderness. Um, Men, you're charged to lead and love your spouses physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually. 1 Corinthians 7.3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, is what he says. He starts with a man. I I love that. He charges the man to fulfill his wife's sexual needs. uh, Potentially, uh, what Paul is dealing with, there are some women in the church that have higher sex drives than men, and Paul's not going to say that's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that at all. We have tend to make generalizations that all men have a higher sex drive, but he charges the man here and says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's. It's this mutual enjoyment, this mutual service, this mutual commitment to serve and love and cherish and care for one another and express their love In intimacy within the confines of marriage. He uses words like husbands and wives. That's marriage. But he says to do it. It's a command. Should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. You both have needs, and you both need to serve each other. Uh, Continuing on, the wife gives authority over her body. So it's this granting of, it's a mutual covenant commitment together in marriage that you serve one another The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Everything becomes ours, not me, me, me. You share everything. You share your time. You share your resources. You share your very own life. You share everything together because intimacy is about oneness. When God said in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone, he made a helper and he says the two will uh, come together and be one flesh. The goal is, in, in an intimacy, is that you pursue oneness together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. God, uh, as you've described it in in the Bible, uh, marriage uh, is, a, is a gift, and sex within marriage is the fire and the flame that fuels that. Lord, it is very evident Uh, Today that this is for our good and it is for your glory. And so, God, we pray pray in the coming weeks where there might be hurt uh, and frustration and tension in a marriage relationship when it comes to this, Lord, would they see their great love and acceptance that they find through Christ when they might begin to extend the same love that you extend to us, to each other, and magnify your great love to the world around through marriages and through lives for walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.